This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You know, Martha, talking with Ralph about the future of the resource and management of the resource, very, very familiar. It's deja vu all over again. Like Yogi Berra said, this is a lot of the same talk you hear in Louisiana. Absolutely. And I actually appreciate that they pay such close attention to it here because, you know, a lot of people, Louisianians love to catch a lot of fish. And they just want, we, we want a lot of fish, which there's nothing wrong with that. But it's also important to remember anywhere you fish that you want to preserve the fishery. So they're really not doing this necessarily to, to be strict, but to, to maintain the fact that they want to keep having people come here. So when you do come here and you say, why can't I only catch two? Well, you can only catch four in the year. That's for everybody. That's not just for the people that are visiting. So they're doing this to, to preserve the fishery because we've seen in history shows that regulations are, are there for a reason because things can get pretty much taken over if you don't have them. And we've been talking with Ralph Crystal, Gone Fishing Lodge, about some of the future of the resources and the management that's going on here in Alaska. Ralph, as I mentioned, uh, Kenai Peninsula, Kenai River in particular, uh, earned its stripes with king salmon. A world record was caught here, very popular. It's, it's caused lodges like yours to pop up, guide services to open up. Um, where are you right now on king salmon? Over the years, looking back, is, is it on the decline? Is it up and down? Does it change year to year, some better, better years than others? Or is it kind of on a steady decline? You know, there's better years than others. Uh, this year was not one of the better years. Uh, we had some bad uh, uh, weather as far as it, the, we broke heat records up here, and there's a lot of mountains around us. We got a lot of runoff, a lot of uh, glacial melt coming into the river. The river was at... Uh, pretty much close to flood stage up here, and so it was very hard to fish for them uh, the first two, three weeks of July. Um, also, they did have restrictions on where they were not allowing the guides to use bait for them. And so uh, between well, the water... How does that cut your chances down, not using they, bait? You know, if they can smell bait, that's an attractant. You know that. If there's a, if there's a scent coming off of a, a piece of bait on a quick fish, or a, we use spinning glows, uh, you know, with eggs, or you can use, uh, you can wrap them with sardine and stuff. Uh, they can smell it and they like that stuff and they'll come hit it. But other than that, you're gonna, this year you had to try to hit them on a lure. Uh, the king fishing was not that good this year uh, versus two years ago uh, it was on fire. Uh, probably the best king fishing I'd seen in, in 10 years where uh, if you wanted to get a seat on a boat to go fishing, you couldn't even find one. I guess it'd be like buying a, uh, a ticket to an LSU <laughs> playoff game or something. People you better know lining. somebody. Yeah. And so... Uh, it's been up and down. Um, it's the toughest of all. I always tell people that when you're going king fishing, you're going for a big fish. The world record's actually 97 pounds, 4 ounces, caught on this river. And this river is famous for that, but it's also famous because the genetics uh, have allowed these fish to get bigger and bigger over here. So you can catch kings anywhere in Alaska, but usually on this river, they're the biggest, you know, that you get. And so... Uh, um, 
I don't know, but uh, the king salmon's what brought me up here. I didn't know about this other salmon. I saw that uh, big old king salmon on the brochure, and they told me they caught it in the river. And where I'm from, you know, two, three, four pounder in the river would be a monster, and this baby was like 60, 70 pounds in the river. And I was like, sign me up, you know. All right, so halibut. Uh, this is a fish that, I mean, it's a very, very bread and butter fish to Alaska. I mean, mm-hmm. you see them. We buy them in Louisiana. They have them in the in the in the delis where you can buy well, halibut. Quit we buying pay them. About, quit well, buying them. I don't buy them. We pay. They pay about twenty eight dollars a pound. <laughs> so I catch mine and bring it home. Yeah. But it's a great eating fish. It's very popular in restaurants. But it's also got a tremendous recreational value to it. Oh yeah, people like that meat now. Uh, you can buy them, and they fish for them commercially also. Um, but it's highly sought after, that white meat. I think fish is, is actually the demand for fish has gone up in the last 10 to 20 years all around the world. People realize the value of nutrition it has, and mm-hmm. uh, it's fun to sport fish, but not everybody can sport fish for them. And so they want to they go down to the store, they're looking at what can they buy, you know, meat or fish or chicken or something. And fish has become a, a, a lot more popular to eat. So... Uh, but the halibut, they manage that too. I don't know how they track where they're going, and, and I, I honestly don't know how they do that. Uh, but these biologists uh, seem to think they kind of have a handle on it. And maybe it's, uh, you know, they're looking at what fish are brought in and how old they are because they, they've got a, a, in their ear, they've got a, a thing that's kind of like a tree. Odolith. Yeah, Odolith. Yeah. yeah, and it measures, you know, you, you open it up and it's, it kind of has rings for each right. year old they are. And so. And then they can tell also when they cut open a fish, you know, if the fish is a little thinner, uh, then it looks like they're maybe not getting uh, as much to eat. There may be more competition for the food sources. Um, but it, this year we've had really good, healthy halibut where uh, they're a little fatter for the, you know, they might be 40 inches long, and but they're, they're nice fat fish, and so they're weighing a little bit more. So I think they're doing the best they can on it. Um, I'd like to see the limits go back up, and so we're hoping that the management is is working on that. I think halibut is definitely identified uh, as well as salmon, but probably I think salmon is associated more with rivers and lakes, whereas salmon, uh, excuse me, whereas halibut has kind of turned into like the identity of the state. I mean, you think of lobsters, what state do you think of? Maine. Mm-hmm. You know, you think of Louisiana, you think of redfish. So I think they've really become an identity fish, but they're so interesting looking and. You know, we joke about them being giant flounder, but but they have similar, they're aggressive, and I think they are, I mean, I haven't caught a big one yet, but you can see just by the shape of the fish why they would be such an aggressive, tough fish to catch, because not only do they get heavy, they're just not, they they, they don't swim up the way, (laughs) their shape of their body is so unique, and they do have that similarity with the flounder to the where one side is white and the other side is complete camouflage, and I imagine if you were to dive down there, they'd be very well hidden, but... Uh, tell folks how, uh, you know, when we get a big tuna, we, we bonk them, you know, we do all that. But tell me what a big halibut is like when it comes in the boat, because I've yet to experience seeing one or a big one come in. So what, what's the reaction? and How do they handle it when a, such a big fish comes in the boat? Well, first got to knock it out before it gets in the boat because it's got a, a tremendous power in its tail and stuff. But, uh, uh, you know, I've seen some of them. Uh, as you pull them up, take off and run. But other times you're, you're kind of, once you've got them, they're coming up and they'll start coming up. If they start seeing the daylight because they're coming out of the deep, out of the deep uh, water, a lot of them will, will start heading back down. And so sometimes you've got to bring them up two or three times on the bigger ones. When they do get them close, uh, they'll harpoon them just in case they have to cut, the, you know, get off the anchor and, and get after them and chase them. 
Uh, but they also use uh, shotguns. You know, they use a 410, what they call a bang stick and stuff, to try to uh, take the, uh, the kick out of them. Uh, but then they'll, once they get the fish subdued, then they'll use a couple gaffs and bring it over and stuff. And so um, I've caught a couple big ones uh, in my day, over 200 pounds. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of work pulling up. Sometimes people refer to it jokingly as it's like pulling up a Volkswagen bus. I, my business partner, uh, Dick Bowen, he, uh, he hooked one one year and it got tangled up with somebody. And as the guide, uh, you may remember Charlie. Oh, yeah. As he got this thing untangled. He said, okay, Dick, it's free, and he, uh, this fish took off. And uh, I was looking at Dick, and it was pulling him closer and closer to the edge of the boat, and he wasn't going to let go of the pole. You know, that's what these guys are. He wasn't going to let go of that rod. And uh, I said, are you okay? And he goes, I don't know. And so I helped him, uh, you know, main, get the fish under control, and then he brought it up, and it was a 220-pound fish. But but it was all he could handle on that one. That one was mad or something. And so... Um, but they will go on runs, and sometimes you have to bring them back up. But uh, it's a lot of work. One offshore animal that's very elusive that we haven't even mentioned, really, because I'm sure they're very rare. But it is, or last week, as many people watch TV, know that it was Shark Week. And nobody really thinks about sharks when you think about Alaska. But there is one shark species here that's very cool. Can you tell folks what that is? I hope it's a salmon shark you're thinking of. Yeah, these salmon sharks are cold water sharks. Uh, don't necessarily like them because they eat the salmon that we're trying to catch, but everything's after those salmon. I mentioned that earlier. Um, but you can get some big ones now. Two summers ago, we caught, we had never caught one here. We'd hooked them, but sometimes you can't get them in or they'll break the line or something. And usually when you're fishing for halibuts, when you'll get them. Um, but we landed two uh, a couple years ago, and there was a couple hundred pounders. I've got the pictures. I don't remember exactly what they weighed. But they look just like a regular, you know, shark in, in the warm water, um, the big teeth and everything. And, and uh, But they're after anything they can eat. They're all chasing those salmon around. So. Can you eat them? You can eat them. Uh, somebody left me a, a, a piece of uh, shark meat before they left, and I looked at it and looked at it. And to me, it looked <laughs> it looked too different from the <laughs> salmon. And I, I said, no, I'm not going to eat it. You know, when we fish for flounder, which is a relative of the halibut, a much smaller size, the flounder has a reputation of being an escape artist. And the moment that is so critical is right when you get ready to net it. What will happen, those flounder will finally come up, and they'll just kind of hang there for a second. And when they see that net coming, it's a quick head shake, and it's probably more of them lost and knocked off at that point. So one of our listeners from the Lafayette area wants to know, do the halibut spit the hook at the boat? Or at the net, just like a flounder does. Well, they could lose the hook at any time. But what these people have developed up here is they use a circle hook. And so in halibut fishing, uh, it's totally opposite of whatever you've ever learned about fishing. Is when they start hitting the hook, biting the hook, you let them take it. Let them, you know, chomp on it, you know. And then uh, once you feel like there's a lot of uh, friction or aggravation on your line, then you just start reeling. You, if you set the hook, you'll pull it out of their mouths. And so um, basically, if you have enough patience to let them hit it and then start reeling, uh, you can get them up. Now, I have seen halibut who are not hooked. Uh, they're just greedy enough that they won't let, me, they won't let go of the, uh, the bait. And uh, if, you know, once they see, once they come up to the water and they see the net, I've still seen them not let go of the bait, even though they're coming up to, you know, get a club membership there you know so uh <laughs> but um they can 
Um, I had one uh, last year. I hooked one on a boat uh, right toward the end of the season. It was a big fish. It was over 100 pounds. Uh, I did everything I could to get it to the shore. And then uh, uh, the captain, and I don't know why he didn't, uh, you know, use a 410 shotgun shell on it because they want to shoot it kind of in the head to kind of, uh, you know, subdue it. Uh, but he was trying to bring it in with some gaffs, and he, he threw He put a gaff in it. Uh, but he missed where he wanted to get it. And it started slipping, and he tried to get the deckhand over with another gaff, and it, and it slipped and went off. And you know, but that's fishing, so you mm -hmm. can lose them. It's it, you know, and sometimes when you're bringing them up, they're shaking, 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 coming up, and uh, people will lose them. But uh, they use a circle hook to try to let the fish eat it, and then it, you know, when when you do start reeling, it set it sets that hook in there. And so, how does halibut fishing take place? Well, how do they rig up? Where do they concentrate to find them? Yeah, well, we can fish anywhere out here in the salt water for halibut. And uh, over in the Cook Inlet, we're usually using four or five-pound sinkers because we get a lot of tide movement out there. And so, uh, you, and a lot of times, and you can fish them at 50 feet, 30 feet or whatever, but your better fishing is out around 200, 250 feet is where we're fishing. Straight down bottom fishing. Um, you're bouncing your, your rig off the bottom. You, you want to make sure that sinker's in uh, contact with the bottom at all times. It lets you know your bait's floating just off bottom. And uh, just keep it moving, and, and then they'll come along. You get that scent trail going, like we talked about with the scent, and these fish move right in on it, and, uh, you know, then the bite's usually on. And so um, that's kind of how you'd fish for them. Now, you can, they do uh, throw jigs out there, too, and sometimes you can catch some pretty big halibut on some jigs, and so uh, that's a lot of fun, too. But it's usually on a steel head with a, uh, uh, you know, a, what do you call it, a rubber uh, jig on it that you put over the top. Yeah, and uh, you just you just jig back and forth, and sometimes you catch some really big ones on those jigs. Now, because of the the tide ranges, the massive tide ranges you have in Alaska, you got to use heavy weights sometimes to get down to the bottom. Yeah, and especially this past few days because we have a new moon, and it's all relative with your moons. And I was talking to one of the cages up here, and uh, he went uh, fishing out there in the ocean and in the, in the inlet, and. Uh, captain said you know they're gonna have a pretty big tide and he's thinking what five six feet he said you guys only get two or three feet moving down that's there. a big tide oh you don't we don't get three feet if it's three feet it's a storm it's got a name well yesterday and this is probably one of the worst tides of the year as far as fishing for halibut uh, we had a 29 footer which we had a negative it was a negative five three going against a 22 nine or something like that or whatever it was it it equaled out about 29 feet of water movement in six hours. That's going in and coming out. And so uh, there's a certain time period when the water's moving that fast uh, that you're going to be able to fish because you can only fish for halibut when you can hold bottom. And uh, once that starts slackening up, then and, you, and your sinker can hit bottom, that's when you're going to be able to find the fish. Now, at the same time, when the current's moving that fast, the tide's moving that fast, the fish are hugging bottom too. So they're, you know, there's going to be a direct window. But on these big tides, it's going to be a quicker bottom time for you. Uh, whereas in two weeks, uh, or you know, or in a week or so, uh, it'll get back down to where you get maybe 10 to 15 feet of water. We have had some tides that are only six, seven feet. That's when there's almost no water moving. And trust me, those are as tough to catch them as the fast tides because the fish got all day to eat. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the ones I like are about the 14 to 18 foot of tide moving every six hours because there's a direct window where you're going to be able to hit them. 
All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to you about some of the other species while you're halibut fishing that you can catch in the Gulf of Alaska, Cook Inlet, some of the open waters, Resurrection Bay. We'll be right back. We're chatting with Ralph Crystal, Gone Fishing Lodge. That's where we are during Cajun Invasion Week, and you're listening to it on More Outdoors on WWL 105.3 FM HD2. And welcome back into More Outdoors, live from the Gone Fishing Lodge, so Dotton, Alaska. We're talking with the owner-operator, uh, Ralph Crystal. And, uh, Ralph, we were talking about the halibut species, and uh, we've got something for you. You know, you're talking about the bonk that you would need to subdue them to come in the boat. Now, we gave you the short one for the salmon, oh. but we got this one from Marucci Company for the, the big halibut there. I know you'll enjoy swinging that right there. <laughs> Boy, you will be swinging that, baby. <laughs> Well, we want to thank that company, the Marucci Company. That is awesome. It's got a logo on it. Um, but I used their uh, shorter one. How'd you like yeah, it? Uh, it worked pretty good. <laughs> Martha got a little carried away on it. But, uh, um, yeah, it, uh, that's a beauty. We'll appreciate that. Thank you. Let's talk about some of the other species besides halibut that you might catch as bycatch, or you can target them when you're out in the ocean. Okay, um, we've got a fish that's uh, similar to your, in fact, it's, a, it's a, a red snapper, but it's not as red as your, you guys have the red snapper down there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so uh, we've got, we call them yellow-eye, they're a little bit more orange up here. Uh, you can get those on your trips. Uh, they kind of monitor that too, they've got like a five rock fish per person limit. And so you can get one of those, you can get, uh, well, we have black sea bass, and that's mm-hmm. a white meat, a lot of people really, really like that. Uh, you've also got lingcod, which is uh, one of my favorites to eat. I just don't get a catch enough of it. Um, that's out there on the, and these are all on the multi-species trip. Uh, you can get your halibut, and they've also got this time of year. You've got silver salmon. So there's at least five different species that you can get while you're out there. Now, uh, sometimes they don't get all of them. Sometimes they only get one or two. You know, but uh, they're all out there go, uh, in the ocean. And uh, it's just a great trip where you can, you can, you know, drop down. You, you, sometimes they're jigging. Sometimes they're bottom bouncing. They'll even throw out at the same time. There was one time I was holding two rods and watching another one because <laughs> I had a silver rod in my hand. I had a halibut rod in front of me. And so, um, and it can be a lot of fun when the fish bites on. If you would, just give us a typical week for a Cajun invasion. Uh, how do you start off your week and how do you work through it? What, what are the chances, opportunities you're going to have the fish? Well, the trip that we uh, we lay out in the beginning has uh, five different trips that we're going to do in that trip, and each one's in a different location. Now, we've got some people up here this year who have been here before, and they kind of customize their trips. Some people like the offshore a lot more than others. Some people like the river fishing more than others. So, um, but we can do either way. And so we'll, st- we'll give them a, a, an ocean trip on the Cook Inlet, a, a saltwater trip in the Cook Inlet uh, for halibut. And then we'll give them a trip over to Seward on the other side of the inlet for the multi-species that we just talked about. We're also going to throw in a, fl- a float plane trip to one of two different locations that we fly into. Uh, we've got river trips here. Uh, the the Kenai River is 90 miles long. We fish the, uh, the lower end, which we're on. We also fish the middle section, and there's an upper section. And so uh, you could get one uh, trip on the lower section, one on the upper section. And uh, between it, you're getting a, a feel and a chance to experience uh, different fishing. Every, every day you're using a different rod, you know, that they have. I mean, some of them lighter tackle, some of them heavy tackle. And so, um, and then uh, fish are different species, you know, they're hitting on different things. You can fish for silvers two or three different ways like we talked about. But uh, we just try to give them a wide variety of things to do. And that's kind of what 
separates us from a lot of places in Alaska is the, uh, the different things and so much variety that we have up here that you can do. What does a, a, a visitor need to, to know that they need to bring or what are their responsibilities and what do you provide, which is just about everything? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, they really just need to get a fishing license and come up. Uh, you know, you need, when you come up, uh, it's generally a little cooler up here than it is down in the lower 48 from uh, anywhere, you know, you're in the 90s to 100s in a lot of places. Um, we're usually in the 60s. The, we're going to be in the mid-70s this week, which is above normal for us. We've been above normal most of the season. Um, they just got to bring their personal gear. All of our trips, all the gear is provided. It would be too much for everybody to try to bring their own gear and figure out what lures they're hitting on. Uh, all the trips are guided. All the equipment's included. We're going to fillet the fish right here. We vacuum pack it for them. All that vacuum packing is included in the freezing of, the, of your catch uh, is included in your package and for the Cajun invasion uh, you know they're gonna need to fly up so we get the airfare lined up uh, we do the rental car you do need a rental vehicle there's uh, uh, not a lot of roads in Alaska there's five highways in the state of Alaska and one of them comes down here but with that road system it goes on both sides of the uh, peninsula and uh, it allows us to get to all these different places to fish and so if we can't get to it we're flying into it so um, uh, Basically, we handle everything on the Cajun Invasion except for the dinner. And then this week we had uh, a group of them who cooked us the gumbo and all that. Oh, it was great on uh, That's Tuesday what we night. heard. Unfortunately, there was you, none left when we you came. You guys missed it. Oh, it was great. He fed the whole lodge, Nelson and Robert <laughs> Gaspard and stuff. Um, it was uh, really a nice treat. And uh, uh, a lot of times we'll have the Cajuns. They jump in and cook a dinner and, and give us a taste of their Louisiana uh, hospitality and their, their food. The one thing I always forget, and Don mentioned this earlier, is binoculars. Because there's a lot of nature aside from the fish. There's bald eagles, moose, bears, everything you can think of. All kinds of stuff. So bring your binoculars. But for the folks who might be a little apprehensive about these offshore trips and they see these forecasts and they don't know how to interpret the seas, what do you tell them? to expect on an offshore trip? Do you recommend bringing any seasickness medicine? And what can they expect? Because what I noticed, if you've been offshore in the Gulf of Mexico, very different here. Different intervals, which basically means the boat rides much differently. So what can they expect in going on these offshore trips in terms of the, the handleability of the boat? Well, the boat's going to handle okay. The, the biggest thing that affects uh, our fishing on offshore is the wind. You know, if we have wind anywhere, you're going to get some bigger waves. And so... Um, you can get some pretty good, you know, you can get six, eight-footers and stuff like that out there. Uh, but the Coast Guard will not let them go out if it's forecast to be too much wind and stuff. And so we had a trip yesterday where there were high winds, and the halibut trips got blown off is what we call it. So, um, but basically, you know, it could be flat and calm, which is ideal. I've been on both of them. Uh, but if they have a tendency to get seasick, I would uh, either get the patch or... Uh, they sell Dramamine or Bonine up here, and I use the low drowsy stuff. Um, kind of coach them into, you know, maybe taking a half a tablet the night before and a half when they wake up. And and uh, that way you won't fall completely asleep, but you're getting your body ready for the ocean. Because it does move a lot, and some people are more susceptible to motion sickness than others. So uh, you can get it. Not everybody does, but some people do. Now, when it's rocking and rolling out there, it's you got a higher chance of getting maybe some motion sickness. But... Uh, Basically, just like anywhere else, if there's a lot of wind, you're going to get a lot of waves. All right, we have a, a text question coming in <clears throat> from the New Orleans area. What are the different fish 
with the different fish limits, do the fishermen limit out on some of their trips? Yeah, well. Well, heck, yeah. I mean, that's. <laughs> what you're <that's>, here for. <laughs> you know, uh, we're, our guides are are, uh, are pretty good at what they're doing. Everybody's professional. Um, they're all licensed. They're, they're out in the uh, saltwater. They're Coast Guard approved. They have to get licenses and approval and go through safety things. Uh, on the river, same deal. You know, it's safety first, fun second, and fish third. I mean, we want to catch fish. We want to have fun. But we got to be safe and stuff. And so, um, uh, you know, we're going to do the best we can. The one thing that everybody really needs to remember, and you hear it all the time, is it is fishing. And the, the common denominator is you got to have the fish cooperate. And so, uh, like I say, these guys, even, even us, we, I guide it every day this week sometimes two trips a day uh, every time i go out you know uh fishing i'm hoping i'm gonna catch a fish that first fish is the, the toughest you know and so um but we're pretty good at it and uh if we can get them we will but everybody needs to remember it is fishing now i know everybody has high expectations and we you know in alaska that's kind of how this the uh the sport fishing was built there's some big fish there's lots of fish uh usually if you do the trip for the week uh, you should take home one to two boxes of 50 pounds boxes of fish per person, uh, you know, per week. But you have to do every trip. You may have one trip that wasn't as good as the other ones, but that's fishing, you know. And what I've seen is that everybody will say, well, that's fishing. But when they have a bad day, they don't want to hear that it was fishing. <laughs> you know, they wanted to do some catching. And, and we do do a lot of that, too. But uh, if you just do the whole trip through the week and, and see how it ends up, uh, I think you'll come out okay. You'll have a, I think you'll have a riot, you know, a blast uh, doing it. Um, you get to experience a number of different techniques and uh, see a lot of different scenery. So I, I see that the uh, champion 2019 Cajun Invasion Diving Champion of the Kenai River has entered the building, Ken Count, so we're going to get him to come talk about that and his experience here. Before you go, Ralph, thanks for all the wealth of information. Thanks for the hospitality and all the professional service you provide here. When will the dates be announced for Cajun Invasion 2020? Well, I'll have them for you in just a minute when I uh, go <laughs> go pull up the 2020 the calendar, calendar, but it'll be very similar to these dates. These are very good dates for uh, and again, the time that we have the Cajun invasion scheduled is a time when you have the opportunity to catch. Uh, this year we had the first weekend could catch kings up to July 31st, but we got silvers, we got sockeye salmon, the reds, the halibut, the lingcod. And so these are probably the best times to come. That's why we have you scheduled in here to try to get a, 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 a you know, a, quite a, a, an array of fish. You know, in different techniques. So. Very good, Ralph. I see you got some customers over at the counter. Ken Counts is in the house. We're going to get him. He told us last time his phone blew up after we put him on the radio. When people hear that he won the 2019 Kenai River Diving Championship, it's going to be even worse. I promise you. So come on over here, Kent. We're going to take a break, and we come back. We're going to talk to Ken Counts, and we're going to wrap it up with Chris Lecoq, who's going to tell you about uh, the Bayou Wild TVs. Season 3, some of the episodes you'll be seeing. Don Dubuque, Martha Spencer, we're at the Gone Fishing Lodge, so Dotton, Alaska, where you're listening to more outdoors. And momentarily, we're going to be chatting with our photographer, producer, editor, Chris Lecoq, and giving you some tips if you're coming to Alaska and doing some very good video or photography. Also give you a preview of what you're going to see on Season 3 of Bayou Wild TV. Before that, Martha, we are joined by uh, a veteran of Cajun Invasion Trips, from Metairie, Louisiana, Ken Counts, who we mentioned, has been the 
declared the diving champion <laughs> of Kenai River for the year 2019. And uh, he can add that to those list of accomplishments here in Alaska. I'm, I'm a diver personally, but I don't want to dive in 50-degree water. Not on rocks either. Nope. While you're holding a salmon on a fishing pole. But did he but land he did a salmon? It. That's the question. Well, let's find out. Ken, what happened? Tell us a story of your dive. Oh, man. <clears throat> it was fun. <laughs> I had a smile on my face. Knew it was going to happen. Um, first day when we get out here, uh, we didn't have anything scheduled. And the Reds are running behind the camp. So I get waiters on, go out there. I mean, within three flips, salmon's on. I'm out there with uh, two of our buddies, and they're to my right. We've got a net on the dock, steps. I hooked up the fish, perfect hookup. And when you hook these salmon up and floss them and get them perfectly, they're almost like a little puppy dog on a leash. After the initial little fight, they settled down, they stopped. I knew I had them perfectly hooked up, wasn't fighting much. I started to, decided to land him by myself and go get the net by myself because the men were all behind me down river. So I start walking towards, I start walking towards the steps to get the net. On my third step, with my right foot, I step into a hole. <laughs> and that current is moving. I realize that I had a choice to make very quickly. Do I leave the pole where the fish go? Or do I make a dive, go with the flow, <laughs> grab the steps, and I decided to dive and keep the fish. So I make a shallow dive. I wish the GoPro was out there. <laughs> we do, too. Oh, my goodness. Well, the water, you said fun. the water wasn't as cold as you expected. That was amazing. I was waiting for that initial cold shock. Luckily for me, there was a warm spell through here. The snow melt water had already passed at... The water was actually delightful. I had just been You didn't want to get out, huh? I didn't want to get out. I had my insulator on. I took a little swim. And it was, it, <laughs> as I'm going downriver swimming, they say all they could see were my hat, my sunglasses, and my uh, face above water. I saved my hat, saved my sunglasses, saved the fish. My buddy Robert, gas bar. He had run across the, the pier, jumped down the, the ladder, and as I get to the pier and the ladder, I'm reaching out, grabbing the, uh, the ladder, which was my intention all along, and as soon as I get to the, to the steps, hold on to the steps, I feel this big grizzly paw grab me by the back, pull me up, and I said, no, not me, the net, get the net. Yeah, put, put you in, you find the net you. Important, don't worry about me, let's get this fish. So anyway, we did. We landed the fish. I got there. We got a good laugh. And um, again, I wish this would have been on camera. Well, you've had good another TV. good trip, and this is not your first rodeo. You've learned, and I've watched you. You've become a pretty good fisherman. You've perfected the techniques like we did yesterday with the silver salmon. You did very well, started everybody off. And you got that flossing or lining down pretty well, too. Yes. It took me 
really two years before I was frustrated. It, it, it is such, it's the keen eye flip. And now it, it is, when those reds are running, uh, even after I took my dive, when I got up, I thought I'd have to go in and change clothes, but I stayed out there and within, I would say 30 minutes, I had five, uh, limit was six this year. Mm. Normally it was three. This year the run was so good. Uh, so I had five, but then, then, then my, my shirt on top was starting to get a little cold, and so I had to change and uh, came back down. And within, I'd say, 10 minutes, I had my sixth salmon. And, I mean, the run was so, so hot. I understand mm -hmm. that they had 90,000 reds running up the river that particular day. Wow. Uh, Ken, you guys are getting ready to head out today. You came the first week. What are you all heading home with? I just looked at the tote board, and it's, uh, I think with the four of us, we have 347 pounds of filet. Wow. So almost 100 pounds of filet a person. Well, now that that got on the radio, you're probably going to get some phone calls and visits for fish fries. Oh, so when you get back to Oh, I'm sure. I'm <laughs> sure. But we'll, we are. We're going to have, uh, we are going to have some fabulous, uh, um, we, we caught some really nice grouper. Um, I didn't catch any. I'm grouper. Listen to me, halibut. Mm -hmm. I um, got some beautiful halibut. Uh, we have uh, uh, we put on our boat. We had 117 pound halibut put on our boat. We had 120 pound halibut put on our boat. We had a number of 80 pound halibut put on the boat. Y'all had a very good offshore trip. Very good offshore trip. I personally, uh, my uh, Three big halibut. I got uh, three mm, 40 to 40 pounds. And the way I look at that, that's 120 pound halibut, <laughs> and it's the 40 pounders. And the 40 pounders are much bigger than if the, the meat is, is much bigger on the, on the younger halibut. The yield, yeah. Um, I like the way you think. Yeah, I like the way you so think. So three 40 pounders, that's the deal. That's the 120 pound halibut. And, uh, but the, the meat is much better. It, it seems like the bigger the halibut gets, uh, it's not bad, no, and, not, bad and not bad in that at all, but it, it, it's like a, uh, a legal, small legal trout mm -hmm. uh, in compared to a big five, six-pound trout. You guys making plans for next year, 2020? Uh, yes, I, th I think. I, I've, um, <laughs> I understand that Mr. Zimmerman may be coming back. He missed his trip this year. And now you'll I, have competition for the uh, diving. Oh, I understand, <laughs> yes. Now, Now, believe me. Uh, with that current and those rocks, you do have to be careful where you're standing. And we, we've had a number of people who took falls in the river. So you really have to be careful of your footing. Absolutely. And, and you have to watch because they are some very big rocks and they are slippery. And we did have a couple men fall down, no injuries. Uh, but uh, just hurt pride. Hurt pride. Ken, we always love seeing you up here at the Cajun Invasion. Look forward to seeing you again next time. And thanks for sharing that information with us. Yes, uh, I, I enjoyed it. Again, fabulous trip. And um, hope you have a short trip home. Uh, <laughs> it's about uh, flight-wise, about seven and a half hours. That's good. Beats out thirty-six. That's yeah, that's sure. not the, that's the. Yeah, we just want smooth sailing for you. All right, congratulations. Well,
When we come back from this, thank you again, Ken. We're going to have Chris Lecoq join us. Uh, he's our photographer, editor, and he will tell you about season three, what you're going to see on Bayou Wild TV, and also a few photography video tips. If you're headed to a place as beautiful as Alaska, you don't want to leave without those precious memories. We're back right after this. And it is 8.49 back in Louisiana, but it is uh, only 5.49 here. We got started at 2 o'clock. We're in Saldotna. It's our annual Cajun Invasion broadcast on Dubuque along with Martha Spencer. Heard some good information. You can tell from Ken how much fun he has when he comes up here. You can have that much fun, too. Look on my website. We'll be posting the 2020 Cajun Invasion information. So we're going to switch gears now. We brought aboard Chris Lecoq. He's wiping the sweep from his eyes, and he's excited to tell everybody about Season 3 of Bayou Wild. We've been working really hard on it, and we've got a lot of cool stuff coming up. We've tried a lot of new things. We've experimented with uh, cinematography, with how we've done interviews, and how we've filmed things. So he wants to kind of explain to folks some of the new technology we've used to bring to you to Season 3. And we will accept a little feedback. If you got some suggestions or compliments, uh, we've got the people here that can handle it. Call us, 504-260-6368, or text us at 870-870. Season 3, Chris, what are we looking for? Well, I want to start off saying good morning to my wife, Amanda, and son, Dean, who are listening. Up in, this early? In well, Louisiana. It's <laughs> well, it's, it's almost <laughs> 9 o'clock. But... Uh, I, I got to say, uh, Dean had a request when I asked him what he wanted when, to come up here, and he said he wanted me to bring him back a penguin. So I'm <laughs> going to have a tough, tough time yeah. finding a penguin in Alaska, but I'm still looking, Dean. I'm going to find a penguin before. He said his other request was Hot Wheels. So if we can uh, find some Alaskan easier. Hot Wheels, that's that's much better. But, uh, yeah, like Martha mentioned, um, with Bayou Wild Season 3, we took a little time this year to produce the show a little differently and not just shoot it and spit it out real quick it's taking a little more time to tell the story think of different ways to tell a story we've had a lot of people uh on our website not a lot of people just people comment every now and then that they wondered why we didn't do an interview with a captain about the tips and all that stuff and sometimes the story we're telling isn't necessarily about the fishing tip it's about the person or the place, and sometimes that story is better told from one of Don or Martha's perspectives or the person's perspective or the captain's perspective. So we're taking a little bit different approach on how we look at the show as a whole and not just uh, we're going out there and we're fishing and we're hunting, and this is what we're doing. We're telling it a little more in-depth sometimes. And what are some examples of some of the things that we've got, as they say, in the can? Well, starting off next week, our, our first premiere show of Season 3, we head back to the Sanctuary Lodge in Woodville, Mississippi. And if you watched the very first episode of Bayou Wild, you saw Martha harvest her first uh, trophy buck from the Sanctuary Lodge. But they also have elk on the property. So we went back to the Sanctuary, and the owner, Jeff Rogers, was able to harvest his first elk. He had never harvested an elk on his property, a bull elk like that. And so we document him. We, he, him and his buddies that hunt up there spend a lot of time studying the elk. And we tell that story not from his perspective but from Martha's perspective, watching, learning from them, watching him during the hunt. So it's an it's a interesting way to tell a story of somebody who's watching someone else hunt and not just from Jeff's perspective on his own. And some of the other things we've got, uh, maybe not quite shot, but got planned. we got alligator hunting coming up again. Oh, yeah, we got alligator hunting. A lot of the stuff this 
obviously that we're doing this week is gonna it's gonna turn into a Bayou Wild show. We have the uh, fly out with Tofield planned. Yeah, we we shot a really interesting feature with a guy Josh Rayleigh who is training for the Olympics in uh, skeet shooting, and that'll be sometime within the next month. And with he, we met him at Bridgeview Gun Club in Port Allen, and I had thought about this right whenever you had told me that we were going to do this feature with Josh, that I needed to get my hands on one of these high-speed cameras, one of these cameras that shoots really, really high frame per second, because this guy is going to be a quick draw, and we want to be able to capture that in really, you know, really slow motion. And it was int really interesting to see how precise he was. You were able to see that on this high-speed camera. The regular camera, the naked eye, can't appreciate how fast and precise this guy is, but whenever we use this special camera that shoots 800 frames per second, you're able to see every movement, and it was really interesting. So we, that's going to be a story. Uh, we went out with Dutch Prager, who's a legend uh, in absolutely. Louisiana Louisiana fishing, and we tell the story of him as a lifelong fisherman and the impact he has on it. We uh, have been doing things, as I mentioned, a little differently, different styles of interviews and, and such. But we've also, you, at being the cinematographer enthusiast, have gone above and beyond. Tell us and listeners kind of the evolution of cameras and drones. And you, you've really stepped up what you've been using to film the show. And it'll really be noticeable, I think, in a lot of these episodes. What are some of the things that you've changed with your, your gear that will really enhance this season? As technology has changed, the public's appetite and expectations of video is, is, is up. The bar's up pretty high right now. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head with that one, Don. It's really, in this day and age in video, you have to know how to, I say, use all the gadgets. You can't just go out there with a camera and get video with a camera. You have to know how to use a drone. You have to know how to use the gimbal. You have to know how to use the GoPros and do time lapse and do all these other things because people see it all the time. They expect it. So, yeah, I always try to think of different perspectives to look at a shot. It's not just from me standing there. I might bend down. I might lay down. I might set a camera up in another angle pointing back at us. Uh, the drone adds a really interesting perspective to everything you do. You could see things that you can't normally see on the ground, obviously, when you have a drone in the air. I've always thought, doing television for a lot of years, that the public is almost, they don't know how to express. You probably don't hear a lot of feedback about, boy, the video was just great. Sometimes you do. But I think people get it, they see it, they appreciate it, and it brings them back. But I don't think they really consciously understand it. Yeah, there's hours and hours of time that go into it, so kind of expand on that. And then I want to know what your favorite thing we have filmed for Season 3 has been so far. I don't know if I can answer that last <laughs> question. <laughs> yeah, as a, as a TV professional, I'm always pushing my limits. Every time I go out, I'm always pushing my limits with how can I do something different than I've done before. Uh, Internet videos become really, really cookie cutter, and that's what people are used to quick quick YouTube videos, quick Facebook clips, but someone who's doing it as a, as a profession and as a career, I guess I take a lot of pride in always trying to up the bar for myself, and I think the, the audience deserves that. We always need to provide something better than they've seen before, 
And that's the approach that I always try to take with not just Bayou Wild, but with everything that I do. I always try to see what I've did before. A lot of past shows that we've did and other projects I work on, I constantly go back and watch them on my own and just try to, in my mind, think of different ways that I could have done things differently. And we then, got a comment in from uh, Martha. You go ahead and read. That's from uh, one of our regular viewers and listeners. David Hubble says he's excited to hear about the new video technologies. He's already wowed by the quality of the past two seasons. He's excited. Also, one thing we haven't mentioned at all, um, we have a lot of new cooking segments. Yeah, let's see which, what we have. Uh, your friend Laney mm -hmm. joined you. Uh, people have seen Laney hunt, uh, burn hunting with us before. Uh, Laney Wick and sh Martha and Laney made a pheasant chowder which was pretty interesting. We got some more segments with John Fulce, Chef John Fulce, that we did that have not been aired yet. One of them was Deer Heart, and Martha was pretty excited when she harvested a deer in Texas that she was able to bring a heart back to John Fulce. And a lot of people don't eat Deer Heart, but he showed us that <laughs> it's really, it's really a, a great part of the deer to eat. I'll just throw it out. And I'm trying to think of what else we got. It's early, so just like y'all are. <laughs> We do a lot of recipes this season that are just kind of hand-me-down recipes through families and through, you know, just stuff you can cook at home. So simple things from, you know, David Hubble's, as we mentioned, his, uh, his sausage with his jelly. So all this stuff, it's not going to be all gourmet, over-the-top, you know, four-page recipe stuff. It's stuff that you can actually take with you, um, recipes cooked around. And we, we may be filming something later today. Maybe I can get one of those sockeye and we can cook one of those up today if I nice. can figure out how to do this lining thing. But <laughs> I think what we're getting at here is that we, we put a lot of time over the last four months or so into this season. We did it differently. As you, If you're a long-time watcher, you've been seeing a few episodes replay, and they're new to a lot of people too. But there was a reason for that, not just because we've been slacking. But we've got a lot of great stuff coming up for Season 3. It premieres August 7th, 7 p.m. Uh, uh, 8th, excuse me, August 8th, 7 p.m., Cox Sports Television. Of course, you can always check it out on YouTube. And we will be going to the Louisiana Outdoor Writer Association Banquet and Conference next weekend, and we will be accepting an award. We don't know for what and which award it is, but we'll announce that on the radio. Uh, Martha, thanks for getting up so early, and uh, I know the listeners appreciate it. Continue yeah. to follow us on Facebook. You're going to keep on posting. Oh, yeah, you know it. We're going to be keeping up with our adventures offshore uh, tomorrow we've got a big trip planned to Seward, and Monday we're heading to Homer, and hopefully we get home on time this time when we leave. All righty. Thank you again, Chris, for sharing that with our audience, and we'll see you all again next week. Next time we're headed back home, though. Hope it don't take as long to get home as Absolutely. it did to get here. We'll see you then. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.